You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Hi, I'm Chris Scott, host of Meeting Pod and contributing editor at both Meeting Place and Alt Meat Magazines. Our guest today is Kim Stackhouse Lawson, Professor of Animal Science at Colorado State University and Director of AgNext, a research hub for ag sustainability with a mission to help find solutions to feed 12.3 billion people by 2100. Dr. Stackhouse Lawson previously served as Director of Sustainability at JBS USA, where she coordinated the Processor's North American Sustainability Program covering JBS's beef, pork, poultry, case-ready, and branded product segments. Our discussion will focus on AgNext and its place in Industry 4.0. Thanks for spending some time with us today, Kim. Thanks for having me, Chris. So AgNext is considered a launching pad for development of useful, practical research that improves the odds of successfully reaching sustainable operational practices for global food producers. Which areas have you and your colleagues at AgNext identified as the most pertinent issues to help reach this ambitious goal? So AgNext is a new initiative at Colorado State University, and it's uniquely positioned between the College of Agriculture Sciences and the College of Veterinary Medicine and Biomedical Sciences. And that really allows AgNext to be a leader for research in animal and ecosystem health while enhancing profitability of the supply chain. And so we're focused on those three pillars of sustainability, and at the same time, really focused on serving as a convener for producers, industry partners, and researchers to come together to innovate in real-time solutions for sustainable animal agriculture production. So when we think about our team, we really take a multidisciplinary approach to solving the world's most wicked challenges. And our strategic priorities are around advancing the science of sustainability, innovating scalable solutions. And I really want to emphasize that word scalable because it's incredibly important when we think about resiliency of food systems, developing leaders, and focusing on engaged outreach. Currently, and we receive a lot of guidance from industry stakeholders through our industry innovation working group, but currently we're heavily focused on the impact of climate. And that's both the impact of climate on the animal themselves from a resiliency standpoint, but also the impact of animal on the climate. And when we think about the animal, we're most focused on beef and dairy systems. We do have expertise in all of animal agriculture, but we stay pretty focused on beef and dairy because those are the two commodities that are most important in the animal agriculture space in our home state of Colorado. And so, for example, when we think about these things, we're studying the ways in which animals can better adapt. That could be through animal health and welfare research to a changing climate, and then also mitigating and measuring greenhouse gas emissions from these animal systems themselves. Now, are there collaboration options currently available to help Agnext researchers create more efficient and more practical approaches to livestock management or processing operations in the near term? Yes, and and really, Agnex was born out of a need to enable closer communication and more strategic alignment and research engagement with our industry partners. And so we were really developed with this in mind. And so we're always on the lookout for new opportunities to partner 
with industry, producers, other stakeholders, and, and more. And when we work on projects, we'll consistently reach out and get industry and producer feedback to ensure that we're assessing the most relevant and practical innovations and also outcomes to ensure adoption across the supply chain. So there's a couple ways where we have really set up strategic engagement. And I mentioned this previously, but we meet quarterly with our Agnext Industry Innovation Group, which is a group of individuals who come together to discuss with us our priorities, our mission, our vision, our funding opportunities, where we see the most pressure coming in the sustainability space, and importantly, where they're seeing the most pressure coming in that sustainability space. We want to understand the challenges that they don't have answers to, and we want to innovate with them in real time so that we can really move the needle even faster in the sustainability space. So for listeners, out there. We would love to hear what you're thinking about in regards to sustainability. And you could submit questions to our faculty through our contact page at agnex.colostate.edu. Terrific. Now, you've mentioned climate change as a factor in determining future sustainability efforts, but you also have roiling economic challenges, including inflation worldwide and ever-shifting consumer protein options and a fickle consumer base. What are some of the technological advances so far that can help the global meat industry address some of these issues over time? Improved animal efficiency and really a focus on resiliency is still the number one most important thing producers can focus on today. And that is through the lens of sustainability, right? Thinking about that lens of social, economic, and environmental. And even, Chris, if we pare down into climate, right? So they're not necessarily disconnected. And I think that that's one of the most exciting things about what we do in the sustainability space. And the team we have at Agnex is that we're really a team that focuses on that full system. We are seeing incredible innovation today in real time around livestock management practices. And that could be different feeding strategies. It could be different reproduction strategies. It could be through different adaptive grazing strategies and the integration of precision technologies, whether it's an e-collar that the animal wears, right, to really think about virtual herding and virtual fencing in a different way in more extensive environments, to AI and machine learning in cattle sorts, right, in feed yards to get them more consistent and more efficiently utilizing those research. And so we spend a lot of time thinking about and researching ways in which cattle are managed and how we can do a better job really understanding how to measure those outcomes and pair them with sustainability goals, right? They may be sustainability goals. They may be ESG goals. They may just be helping a producer. And I don't mean to minimize that by saying just, right? But helping a producer how adoption of these more innovative and even efficient practices could really improve the profitability of their business. And so that's really what we think about when we're thinking about sustainability, especially in this really challenging economic climate. And we also are spending an incredible amount of time looking at greenhouse gas and climate mitigation options that have a win-win. So what we're saying there is we may be researching a feed additive, right, that may reduce enteric methane or may retain more nitrogen in the animal. Therefore, there's less volatile nitrogen compounds coming off of the manure. But we're also innovating in ways and thinking about ways that that additive may also improve animal health or may also improve animal performance to ensure that there's really a triple bottom line win when we think about a sustainability solution. 
Now, we know that U.S. and European union officials have promised to reduce methane and manure emissions by 30% within the next seven years. If this is the goal, how is that effort progressing as far as today from your perspective? So when we think about methane and, and greenhouse gas research and climate, you know, one of the, the the things we've got to remember first is that even though we have been talking about this for decades, minimal research on emissions from cattle have occurred in production environments where they live every day. So in other words, as researchers, we've done quite a bit of work looking at methane emissions and greenhouse gas emissions, which would get the U.S. and the European Union potentially to this target. However, this research took place in in more restricted, I'll use the word restricted, research environments. So in other words, cattle would be housed in whole animal chambers, or they would be housed with their head in an enclosed, you know, freestanding, but enclosed head box so that we could very closely and precisely measure emissions. Only until recently have researchers had the technology to measure methane emissions from where the animal naturally lives. And what's important about that is that intake, animal intake of feed, directly correlates with the amount of enteric methane that they're producing. And so our ability to really measure these emissions from animals in their current production environments um, is incredibly important to actually very basically baselining those emissions so that we can better understand where improvement opportunities exist. And I'll make just a side note here. The amount of methane emissions that come from the grazing animal is upwards of 70% of the total methane emissions that come from that animal's complete lifespan. And we know the least about the animal in an extensive grazing environment because it's challenging to measure. And we've only really recently been able to measure those animals in a very accurate way. And that's because of the advances in technology that you just noted. Correct. Absolutely. The other thing that I think is really important to understand when we think about meeting these audacious targets, and they're not just the US and the EU targets, right? They're company targets as well, is that there's limited access to federal funding, grants, and private investments to research enteric emissions and greenhouse gases from beef and dairy systems. EDF, actually, the Environmental Defense Fund, just released a report in December that articulates this further. But the lack of federal funding and private dollars in this space is concerning when we think about the incredible advancements that we need to make to work towards this sort of mitigation from these systems. And so, Additional research and funding for that research is really critical for the livestock industry, producer associations who have made these commitments, and the U.S. government who has made these commitments to really reduce emissions. And we're just, we don't have the solutions today. But raising the point is is a step in the right direction, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we're not the only ones that are talking about this lack of of funding. I mean, we have some of our most strategic and important producer partners that are very concerned about this. The financial institutions, banks and investors are very concerned about this. USDA is becoming more aware and are working to to mobilize efforts in this space. So I, I do think the funds are coming and the innovation will be 
quick, I think, right? Once we get those those funds in place. But innovation's interesting, right? There's not only the innovation of a solution, right? What that an animal, let's say it's a feed additive that an animal could eat and could hopefully eat in a grazing scenario and have it reduce emissions. But to my earlier point around technology, while the technology to measure these emissions has gotten much better in the last decade, there's still incredible opportunities for improvement so that we can more accurately and precisely measure differences. Right now, it's very difficult to detect differences less than 10 to 12 percent just due to the amount of individual animal variation in methane emissions. So interestingly, an animal on the similar diets can produce upwards of 30% differences in methane that's actually, you know, from, from that on the same diet, in the same pen, we'll see a difference between individual animals of 30%. So when you're thinking about a solution to reduce that, it's it can be very difficult to measure a significant difference when there's that much error right in in the data that we're collecting. So our ability to measure more animals is really important so that we can add power to that and that technology we need to develop. And that doesn't even address the concept of smaller livestock and cattle and other types of producers versus the larger companies that are running thousands and thousands of animals in their facilities. Right. So it it sort of actually affects them the same. So if you think about, let's say there's a, there's a producer and they're a cow-calf producer and they have the average herd size, right? So they've got 28 head. And let's say that they are grazing in Northeastern Colorado. So they're on a short grass prairie step. Okay. So they big country, right? Think big country. We're grazing Mm -hmm. a cow-calf pair to 65 acres, right? Something like that. And then we have a feed yard. Let's say the feed yard is in the Panhandle of Texas, where a lot of cattle go to be finished out. And that feed yard, let's say it's 65,000 head feed yard. Our ability to detect differences based on treatment really doesn't change even. So even if I fed 30,000 animals a treatment, right, and Mm -hmm. 30,000 animals were a control, my ability to measure that feed yard would actually only happen at the feed yard level. So I could put methane lasers, right, around and over the feed yard, and I could understand how much those cattle from that feed yard might be emitting from the laser. But I can't understand if there's a difference in the treatment, right? All I can understand is that before and after the treatment was applied, there may have been a difference, but there's all kinds of contributing factors. The diet could have changed, the weather could have changed, yada, yada, yada. And we see such a huge variation, it's hard to tell. The same technology could be applied at a grazing operation. It's very hard to do. We're the first group that's piloting lasers and grazings, for example. We use a different technology. But to be able to treat half of those 28 cows, so 14 of them with a treatment and half with a control, I might not even be able to detect a treatment difference in the groups because it's right. It's going to be treated as a group 14 and 14. And there may be a lot of high methane, you know, emitters or low methane Mm -hmm. emitters and my ability to change it. Let's say the technology only reduces the methane by 8%. Well, I might not be able to pick that up statistically. So we see it on both ends actually. So 
there's lots of innovation that needs to take place. There's lots of exciting work in the space and phenomenal scientists. So I think we'll get there and we have great support from our industry partners. Tons of producers are willing to, to help and participate and send us cattle and allow us on their operations. But we need some funds to kind of, of course, you know, move that innovation ahead. Of course. Now, you mentioned earlier that promoting animal and ecosystem health ultimately enhances the profitability for producers and other meat industry stakeholders. How much of that research aligns with Agnext's efforts on more general sustainability goals? Yeah, so we're really focused on continuously improving social, economic, and environmental stewardship of animal agriculture systems. And we do that, right, from measuring baseline emissions of methane, like we've been talking most about to looking at stress physiology and how stressed animals, whether it be from heat or disease or cold stress, we have cold stress concerns, of course, in Colorado, how that may impact the overall sustainability of, of this system. And I, I can't emphasize that enough. When we talk about sustainability at Agnext, we have individuals and, and in fact, CSU has committed to hiring 12 faculty designated, these are new lines, designated to developing solutions in sustainable animal agriculture under the Agnex brand, focused in anything from greenhouse gas mitigation to animal health, disease epidemiology, for example, to heat stress, to carbon markets, to ecosystem services, to biodiversity, to social scientists who study networks of people and community. And I think that that's what we get excited about at Agnext is how can we take a solution, right, that may be very myoptic, maybe just focused on just because we've just been talking about it, enteric methane, right? But right. how does that solution impact the full system? And are there things we can't live with, right? Like, if something is going to reduce methane, but it comes at a cost exactly. of mortality being increased by two and a half percent, that's unacceptable. That's Completely. unacceptable from an animal welfare standpoint. It's unacceptable from a profitability standpoint. It's unacceptable from a human welfare standpoint. All of these things it's unacceptable for. And so it's our job to say that was a good try and we got to try again. And that requires funding. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Sure does. Unfortunately. Yes, it sure does, right? Because I think it's good funding, but that's often what we do in research. We kind of want to nickel and dime the study, right? And of then course. we'll go in and we'll say, we're going to study this one thing and its effect on this one thing. But that's not what sustainability is about. And it's not what food system resiliency is about. And it's not what social equity is about. Like, that's not what anything that doesn't help anybody. We have to understand this full system. Terrific. Now that we're in 2023, on this exact need to test. Is there a timetable for research projects that will maintain momentum toward this 12.3 billion person food program that'll take place in targeting 75 years from now? The short answer is no, nothing federally, right? That would garner that kind of momentum. We saw the Climate Smart Commodities Solutions Grant come out. That went to more on-farm implementation and not so much the innovation that we really believe is important on the beef and dairy side. And, you know, I think what's important to recognize when we think about the momentum that's needed and this sort of infrastructure and funding that is needed is that the beautiful thing about animal agriculture is that 
it's complex, right? It's wickedly complex. And cattle and beef cattle and dairy cattle and chickens and pigs are all raised in different parts of the country. And those producers are using different management strategies and different tools in their toolbox to really put food on all of our tables. And so when we think about innovation, we need innovation that is place-based and regionally applicable and understandable to a producer and that the producer is willing to adopt the practice, right? And so how we maintain momentum and how we begin to build trust, which is as important, frankly, as developing the solutions, I think there has to be a more focused and conscientious effort to what's really needed for this global food system to execute on not only the goals, right, but feeding the many more mouths we're going to have to feed in that time. And so when we think about transforming the supply chain, it's not just transforming the supply chain, it's transforming the way academics work today, right? Mm -hmm. It's transforming the way we think about research, not in ivory towers of academia, but in partnership with the industry and with our supply chains and coming together to say, I already know this, right? Study this, or actually that's a really good question, but I have this question too. How hard is it to add that outcome? And we've got to get better about communicating all of this in real time because that that 75 years is soon. And so the other thing we have to be really careful of is as we garner this momentum, right? We can't do what academics love to do and is like, well, let's research the question. Like, let's ask the question again and again. Anything, right. right, or a different way. And it's, at some point, we've just got to say, this is what we think. It's really close. Yeah, we could get it better, but we've also got to move, right? We've got to move because there's pressures we've maybe never felt before. So it, it'll be interesting to watch this momentum develop. And it should be noted that some of your partners could use Agnext as a clearinghouse on a certain level if they develop on their own some of these sustainability practices that actually have been proven to work on their farms and in their operations. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're seeing that, Chris, right now. We're seeing that from any, to your point, smaller producers, right? Coming Mm -hmm. to us and saying, hey, we practice this adaptive management strategy and we've been practicing it for 15 years. And I have soil samples from 15 years ago. Would you be willing to analyze those for me? Right. So there's things like that. And then on the flip side, we work with pharmaceutical companies who do exactly what you're talking about. Okay, Mm -hmm. we think that this existing FDA molecule, right, approved from FDA molecule may have a methane reducing opportunity. Can you test it? And then we start heading down that path and we do a lot of work in new molecule innovation. So yes, we're absolutely starting to see that. It's really exciting. We're not the only institution, of course, that that does that as well. So I'm hopeful that that momentum is will generate lots of excitement. And importantly, we haven't gotten to talk about this much, but there's a lack of the next generation being trained in a lot of these things. And yet the need right, for jobs in the supply chain is huge. And so I'm hopeful that as the momentum gets going at all of these different institutions and with all of these different partners, we'll see an incredible pipeline of young people who will be able to come into the supply chain and really shape what all this looks like going forward. And finally, that feeds directly into my final question. When it comes to students entering the animal science department at Colorado State, what are some of the approaches that Agnext or your other colleagues are implementing to successfully attract the type of researchers that are a solid fit with the program currently? Yeah. So I think 
one of the most attractive things about Agnext is our dedicated engagement with our stakeholders and supply chain partners. And the fact that that is our culture, that is who we are. We believe in engaged scholars. You know, we all talk with industry partners daily, right? And we innovate together. And that's exciting. That's exciting for students because they get the best of both worlds. They get training and academic expertise and technical expertise, and then they see the business side and they see these companies working towards separate missions and visions. And they're, they're seeing that supply chain take hold. And it's a it's an incredible feeling to think that you're pushing innovation from a scientific space, but then you're also contributing to feeding people daily, right? And it's so it's such noble work. Our supply chain partners do such noble work for all of society every day. And so that's an incredible attraction for students coming to CSU. The other thing is that with our partner donations, Five Rivers Cattle Feeding, Midwest PMS, Sealock, and Bank have donated equipment so that we have the largest facility and best-in-class facility in the country to study greenhouse gas emissions from beef production systems. And that's unique because we can do it in grazing, extensive grazing and intensive grazing, and then into the feed yard. And so that full supply chain feel not only gives us incredible insight into baseline data and you know really cool kind of biology, but it also allows for a really interesting connection on the economic side and potentially the true development of carbon tracking for carbon markets. And so that's cutting edge. Well, either side, you kind of look at it. It's cutting edge research that students love to experience. And then finally, I mean, we're hiring 12 people. We've attracted some of the best in the business. Dr. Sarah Place joined our team. Dr. Greg Toma joined our team. Dr. John Ritten joined our team. And these individuals are world-renowned in their areas of expertise. And so the opportunity for students to work with those those people alongside the other incredible scientists who are already at CSU, Temple Grandin, Keith Bell, world-renowned animal scientists, is really exciting. If there are any potential masters or PhD students listening, we would love for you to join our team in graduate school and undergraduates as well. We work with an incredible group, almost 30 undergraduate interns who help support our research. So there's plenty of information about that on our website as well. Sounds like a win-win for everybody. It's fun. Yeah, definitely rewarding part of the job. Well, thanks so much, Kim, for sharing your insights with our Meeting Pod listeners. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And thanks to our listeners for joining us for Meeting Pod. Come back every Monday for more insights on the ins and outs of the meat processing industry. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow Meeting Place and Altmeet magazines on social media and visit our websites, meetingplace.com and alt-meet.net. Until next time. Remember to tune in on Mondays to get the inside track on the people and the processes that drive the protein industry. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Meeting Place and Altmeet magazines on social media and be sure to visit our websites at meetingplace.com and altmeet.net.